Good morning. I welcome you to Grace. My name is R. Dallas Green. I'd like to teach about some principles of giving. Before that, I'd like to have the book of 2 Corinthians, verses 8 and 9. But first, I'd like to talk to you about your stuff. Now, <clears throat> we guys stuff our stuff into our pockets. At the end of the day, isn't it true? We empty our pockets and we find all the stuff that's in our pockets. We find in there change, receipts. Maybe you might find a hope rock, credit cards, um, keys, all kinds of things show up in our pockets. But women can carry more stuff in their purses. Whenever I'm asked by my wife, Debbie, to get something from her purse, I always bring the whole purse to her. I just don't dare to go in there. I advise any of you guys to never go in there. There's just way too much stuff in there. And then we have our cars, right? And our cars are great for collecting stuff. We put stuff in our glove compartments. I was taking Debbie's car to the uh, emissions test, and I had to go into the glove compartment. And guess what happened? All kinds of stuff, old masks, you know, books fell out of her glove compartment. Um, so the best place, however, in a car to stuff your stuff is the trunk. You can fill up your trunk with just all kinds of stuff. Honestly, often we don't know how it all got there, but your trunk, like my trunk, is probably full of stuff. And then you get a house. Now, houses are really great for holding stuff. Um, after 38 years of being in the same house, I can guarantee you our house has lots of stuff in it. You have a drawer that's full of stuff. You have a closet. Don't you have a closet that's just full of stuff? You have a basement. If you have a basement, the basement's full of stuff. Pretty soon, the house is full of stuff. And you put your stuff in the garage, don't you? Boxes, tools, bicycles begin to take over the garage. Soon, you can't park your car any longer in the garage because it's had a takeover, a hostile takeover. So you decide you're going to have a yard sale, right? Now, there's always people looking for a good yard sale because they want to buy your stuff. So what do you do after you have a garage sale? You buy more stuff, right? <laughs> now, even the church, after, uh, what, 38 years of being here, and before we started building on the unfinished part, we had to empty it of stuff. Zeke, our own Zeke, carried thousands of pounds of stuff to the dump because we had collected stuff. Jesus talked about a man who had too much stuff. He was a farmer, and he had a good farming year. His field was fertile, very productive, and um, he had a great harvest. Now, he could have thanked God for the harvest. He could have enjoyed the harvest at his table. He could have sold off part of the harvest. He could have given some away. But what did he do with his stuff? He built bigger barns to hold his stuff, sort of the equivalent of getting a storage unit, right? I can't get rid of it, so I'm just going to make get a storage unit. He said to himself, you know, like, I've got it made now, right? Eat, drink, and be merry. And then Jesus said to him, you're very foolish, for tonight you're going to die. Then who will get all your stuff? You can't take it with you, Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying that life is not about accumulating stuff before eternity. Life, rather, is about a rich relationship with God. A fool is somebody who acquires all this stuff and neglects their relationship with God. So what is real life measured by? Is life about getting 
a house and filling it with stuff? Is life about getting a car and filling it with stuff? Is life about having a closet and filling it up with stuff? Jesus said, what is a profit if a man gains the whole world and he loses his whole soul? What does it mean to have a rich relationship with God? But you say, Pastor, or I've worked hard for my stuff. I really love my stuff. I love every teacup in the cabinet. This is what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6. <clears throat> what you have received, you've received from God. You are not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your body. You belong yourself to God. God paid the highest price to redeem you, to purchase you out of slavery to this world. You see, when your life is all about acquisitions, you are in slavery to this world. You are his. If all I do is buy, 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 <laughs> then somehow there's something going on inside of me. Everything we have is a gift from the hand of God, right? Every good thing we have. Jesus was asked by the Pharisees, he said, should we pay our taxes to Rome? Now, I know that's a sensitive subject since this was last week. Many of you paid your taxes, right? And Jesus asked a question back. Why are you trying to trap me? If he says, no, we shouldn't pay our taxes, he's breaking the Roman law. If he says, yes, he's supporting an oppressive regime. So Jesus said, show me a coin. So somebody handed Jesus a coin. And he took the coin into his hand and he showed the coin to everyone. And Jesus said, I have a question for you. He often, Jesus often answered questions with questions. He said, whose face is on the coin? Whose image appears on its face? Now, if someday we get a chance to go to Israel together, we can go into an antiquity store, and you can ask for a first century coin, and guess what you'll see on that coin? The image of Caesar because Caesar ruled from Rome in the first century, and his face was on the coin. And the answer they gave was, Caesar's image appears on the coin. And then Jesus said, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. You see, you have a dual citizenship. You have a relationship to this earthly world, but you also have a relationship to God. And then he said, but give to God what is God's. You are made in the image of God. Therefore, you belong to God. And everything you have in your life has come to you from the hand of God. A little girl was in a church like this back in the days when they passed the offering plate. And uh, the offerings were being taken. And she took a picture of herself and she dropped it into the offering plate. And the ushers saw the picture and took it back to her and said, honey, I think you dropped your pitcher into the offering plate. She said, I had nothing to give, so I gave myself. In our series, in Book of Acts, Paul was preaching about the grace of God. Now, the Jews that were listening, Acts chapter 13, knew about the Day of Atonement when the high priest made the sacrifice to atone for the sins of the people. That sacrifice was good for one year, but every year this high priest would make atonement. But Jesus made the final complete payment. 
This was all part of the grace of God, the undeserved favor of God, the goodness and generosity of our God being poured out at the cross. You see, if we get saved, we get saved by the sovereign grace of God. Paul would say himself, I am what I am by the grace of God. So he comes into this church and he begins preaching to the people about the forgiveness of God. And many of the Jews and the Gentiles believed. And then in verse 42 it says, these Jewish and Gentile converts talked with Paul and Barnabas and he urged them to continue in the grace of God. What does it mean to continue in the grace of God? I'd like to give you six principles about giving. Principle number one, there is a connection between the grace of God and the grace of giving. Look at 2 Corinthians 8. It says, Now, my brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. God has sufficient grace to save us. And once we are saved, God has sanctifying grace to give us the desire and the ability to please him. And when we're facing a trial, God has enduring grace to help us persevere. And we're in a common situation. God has common grace to help us. God has grace given to all mankind when he makes the sun to shine and the rain to fall and the seasons to come. But there is here in this church an uncommon grace. And he so he gives us these principles of grace. The grace of giving is the inclination of the heart to give because of God's grace, who graciously poured out to us. We pour back out to God and to others in response to him. In other words, God's grace has been poured out to people, and they responded in kind by their giving. And now, brothers, he's talking to fellow Christians. I want you to know, this is information they need to know, about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. You see, when you get God's grace, you get his undeserved favor, the full measure of God's kindness and generosity. You get full, final, complete forgiveness for your sins. When you get God's grace, you get made right with God, imputed righteousness. You see, when you're forgiven, God brings your account to zero. You don't owe anymore. Jesus paid a debt he didn't owe. You had a debt you couldn't pay, so Jesus paid your debt at the cross. So when you're forgiven, your account goes to zero, but then he puts something into your account, the righteousness of God. When you get grace, you get adopted into God's family. You get a seat at the table. You have a heavenly father. You have brothers and sisters. When you get grace, you get humility and thankfulness. Humility knowing you did not deserve it, and thankfulness because you know how much it costs. Principle number one is there's a connection, connection between the grace of God, and the grace of giving. The grace of God takes many forms. Individually, each one in this room has received the grace of God. The grace of God is the desire and the ability to please God. If you have money in the bank, investments, you have money in your wallet, you have money in the dish, you have been given grace. God gives you grace to meet your needs and bless somebody. When we pray, Lord, Give us this day our daily bread. We're praying that God will supply all the needs we have. Give us a loaf of bread. But if he gives us two loaves, 
we can share that loaf with somebody else. Some of you here have been given much more than enough, and God wants you to share. I do not understand completely the grace of God, but I do know this story. When we did a campaign not long ago, my oldest son, Chris, who's now 38, was in his second year of college. And Debbie and I decided that we would double our giving, which for us meant a change in lifestyle, a big stretch of faith. So Chris called me one night and he said, Dad, there's been offered at the college what's called the Sugar Baker Scholarship. Sugar Baker was a famous surgeon. He went to Wheaton College and then he went on to become a surgeon. And in his gratitude, he decided to set this scholarship up. The scholarship included the last two years of college for a pre-med student and the first two years of medical school. The scholarship was worth $250,000. And Chris said, Dad, do you think I should apply? I didn't have to think much about that. I said, Chris, I think that would be great for you to apply. Well, Chris, one of 600 students who applied received the scholarship. And this is what I don't know. And someday God will tell me. Is there a relationship between giving sacrificially and God pouring out blessing into my family? We hear people say, I would give if I had more to give. I would give if I had a bigger bank account. I would give if I had less debt. And now, brothers, I want you to know about the grace that God gave, the uncommon grace that God gave the Macedonian churches. Verse 2. Out of their most severe trial, there was overflowing joy. The little idea is that they were crushed by life's pressures because what was happening in the pagan surrounding culture was squeezing them harder and harder because of their devotion to Christ. Because of their trial. Now, we don't know what trial the church was going through. Was it an earthquake? That's a very seismic area. Was it, a, um, was it the Romans who had appropriated their um, gold and silver mines and taxed them heavily? Or was it persecution that came upon the church? We do know that the church was being tested, and they were facing extreme poverty. The word here used is the word in-depth poverty. They were at the bottom, dirt poor. It's hard to imagine us living here in America what poor in ancient times meant. We say we're poor when we have to think about going out to have dinner, or we don't have the money to buy a new car. They didn't have a car. They didn't have gas. They didn't have repairs or insurance. They were the poorest of the poor. And here's what happened. Out of that impossible situation, they did the impossible. Out of their very severe trial, they experienced overwhelming joy. And out of their extreme, extreme poverty, it welled up in generosity. There is no correlation between wealth and giving. If a person says, if I were only as wealthy as Jeff Bezos, if I were only as wealthy as a rich man, I would give more. Statistically, the wealthiest give the least. 
those who make the most give something like 0, 1, 2% of their income. If you took the richest state in America, you'd find the lowest amount of giving. But if you took the poorest states like Alabama, Mississippi, you would find a proportional increase. So what happened here is these people were giving according to their ability. Some were giving beyond their ability, which brings up principle number two. The outward circumstances and difficulties we face should not limit our generosity. There will always be people with more than you have. There will always be people with less than you have. But the question is, what do we do with what we have? You see, there were two large rivers flowing here. One of the rivers was troubles, affliction. The other river was poverty. And those rivers converged, and these people experienced joy and liberality with their giving. See, nothing could steal away their joy. They experienced extreme poverty. They weren't poor, they were dirt poor. How, with, how could people with so little give so much? It wasn't about the amount they gave, it was about their mindset. You see, our mindset has the capacity either to free us up to give or hold us back. One mindset that we carry that holds us back is that I just don't have enough to give. I know people now who have very, very little, maybe $100. I also know people who have millions and millions of dollars. And in both cases, they feel like they don't have enough. I don't have enough is a mindset. What if I believed that my God has enough to supply my needs? Jesus said it this way in his Sermon on the Mount. Give, and it shall be given unto you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, so it's running over, it shall be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will also be measured unto you. Now, if we wanted a loaf of bread, we would go into the grocery store and pick out the loaf of bread and then, you know, take it to the checkout, scan it, and walk out of the grocery store with a loaf of bread. But that's not how they got their bread in the first century. They wore a long tunic, and the tunic had a sash, and the tunic would go down to one's ankles. And if you went into the marketplace to buy grain, you would pull up the outer part of your tunic like this and tuck it under the sash, making sort of a pouch. And the merchant would pour into your uh, tunic a bushel of grain. And that bushel of grain would be pressed down, shaken together, and beginning to flow over. And the picture that Jesus is drawing is, with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. If you want to have a great harvest, you've got to plant a lot of seed, right? Because if you sow a little, you're going to reap a little. But if you sow a lot, you're going to reap a lot. I'm looking forward to the harvest this year because I've got about 50 little tomato plants growing in my sunroom. And I'm making a place where these little tomato plants can come. And when they come, it's going to be a glorious harvest because we have planted lots and lots of seed. Out of their severe trial, extreme poverty, 
It welled up with rich generosity. The happiest people I know are the most generous. One generous man said, I, was asked, I asked him, I said, does money make you happy? He said, yes, when I can give it. The amazing part about giving is when you give, you don't lose anything. You gain the opportunity to be part of what God is doing. We want you here to be part of what God is doing. We saved up over the years about $300,000 to get here. The work that's been done so far has been paid with cash, but we need another $300,000 to finish, and you can help us. Together we can finish. For I testify, verse 3, that they gave as much as they were able and beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us in the service to the saints. Can you imagine? Here's Paul presenting this need of the poor in Jerusalem, and the people are asking him to be involved in the giving. I'm calling that uncommon grace. Principle number three. All financial giving is preceded by self-giving. The question I'm asking myself is, am I all in? Am I holding something back? You're looking at a major move here of God. The grace of God transformed these people. And there is an implicit lesson. It won't do any good to give our possessions to God unless we first give ourselves to God. I must make this resolution. God, you are first in my life. The first fruits goes to you. You are my first priority. You have bought me with a price. I belong to you. Everything I have comes from you. If you want something, God, you can have whatever is yours because you are the owner. If I give something without giving myself first to God, I could be tempted to believe and imagine my substance is enough that my giving made God pleased with me. God doesn't need your stuff. God doesn't need your money. God wants your heart. God wants your full surrender. Giving things without giving ourselves can build religious pride, as if you haven't given yourself to Christ, now give your money. Principle number four. A willingness to give is much more important than the amount. 2 Corinthians 8.12 If the willingness is there, the gift is acceptable according to what one has, not according to what one does not have. What I have prayed about the most, and I encourage you to pray about also, and felt the Spirit speaking to me is, or do you have a willing heart? There is no way to grow to spiritual maturity without a willing heart, without making yourself and what you have available, about listening to the promptings of the Spirit. There is a huge spiritual principle. Jesus can have our money and not have our heart, but he cannot have our hearts without our money. What Jesus said is, for where your treasure is, there shall your heart be also. If you will give to the project, I guarantee you'll be connected to what is happening here and part of the work of God. You know, in a family, this is how I think about this. In a family, we live in this house, and we have this unfinished basement. 
And we don't know all the purposes for that unfinished basement. Maybe it'll become a place where the kids will play. Maybe it'll be a place where we'll exercise. Maybe it's a place where we'll have people over and enjoy fellowship. We don't know all the purposes of finishing off the basement. Right now, we don't know all the purposes for finishing our unfinished space. This used to be a space where our kids could play and run and jump. This used to be a place where our youth could gather. Now it's a committed worship space. But we would like to finish that unfinished space to be able to finish what we started here back in 2003. Principle number five. Each should give what they have decided in their heart. And this is the part between you and God. We are trying to raise $300,000. Thus far, we have been careful to not, you know, contract with somebody to pay for something we didn't have the money to pay. The reason we would like you to give and commit to giving is that by June 1st, that allows us to have the money to finish. If we don't have it, we will put the brakes on and wait until we do. We won't take on debt. We are not like the federal government. Each of us here has a different capacity. Some have said, I want to get this done, Pastor R, before I die. I want the old timers here to see this space finished before they die. <laughs> and principle number six, seeing generosity moves the heart of God to supply more. Listen to this verse. And God is able... If he owns the silver and he owns the gold, if God is the owner of heaven and earth, he can make all grace abound towards you. God has the grace to save you. God has the grace to strengthen you. And God has the grace to provide you. So that in all things, including this project, at all times, now up to June 1st, having all that you need, you will abound to every good work. It is impossible to outgive God. I just want you to get in a giving contest with God, and I'm confident that God himself is going to outgive you. David the king wanted to build a house. He had his own house, and he felt God should have a house, a place where God could dwell. But God's plan was not for David to build David's for to build God's house. God's plan was for David to provide the provision for God's house. So David gave generously to provide for the building of the temple. And his giving inspired the leaders to give. And the leaders' giving inspired the people to give. Now John's going to talk about surprise giving. And you know, nobody likes to talk about, um, you know, and ask for money, right? So the good thing is I'm not going to have to do that today. Um, but everybody does like to uh, send out invitations, right, to, to a wedding or something special. And that, that really is, in all, in all seriousness, what we're doing here. We're inviting you all uh, to enter into work uh, that the Lord has started, like we've heard, over 20 years ago. And this is generational work. As you're seeing from the pictures behind me, and I believe, <laughs> either that or you're not paying attention to what I'm saying. Um, if from the pictures, we are making tremendous progress. Um, in fact, the elevator um, is currently being installed, the elevator that I think we've talked about as a church body for over 20 years, um, you know, giving accessibility up to our second floor. 
but thinking about, you know, depending on how long you've been here, and, and Pastor R mentioned it quite a bit, the work we're doing today um, is multi-generational work. Just like the work um, and the reason why we worship here today is from the work that was done by probably less than 20% of the people that are here today. And they did that and began that work in 99 and planning and preparing and praying. And, and by that work, we're here today at this, in this beautiful place. And so what we're doing today is planning for the future. We're also opening up space, as Pastor R mentioned, our, our children's ministry, our youth ministry, women's and men's ministries are running out of space. Um, through the years, we've renovated certain sections with always the goal to open that up to be a multi-purpose space. And, and it's really pretty much the length of the upstairs there that you can see. Um, and we'll definitely uh, be giving out any tours from anybody that wants to. But let me tell you an interesting story. When I think about multi-generational um, work and why it's so important today. So yesterday, and I don't know if any of you are like this, you've got large extended families, so you try to get together for the holidays. Well, in, in my family, there's three pastors. So you can imagine that like all the Sunday holidays, you know, like Easter, it, it doesn't really work to get everyone there on Easter day. So yesterday, I, I, I took my family um, up to my mom's house, uh, my parents' house up in York, Pennsylvania. And so we get there, and all the cousins are there, and everybody sleeps over Friday night into Saturday. And every time I went into the basement, and I looked at the beautiful seven, seven grandchildren from ages 11 through 17, what do you think I saw them doing? I didn't hear them talking. They were on their phones with their heads down in their individual worlds, all desperately waiting to get together so that they could put their heads down and play video games without talking. Okay. But, so here's the thing. On, on yesterday on Saturday, Saturday my 72-year-old father, uh, my brothers and I, who um, are in our 40s, um, we all challenged the, the, the teens to a, ba a basketball game, okay? Seven on four, not bad. And, um, and we won by one point and an elbow to the face. Um, I'm not gonna say, I actually was the one that received the elbow to the face, but um, from my own son. But we won by one point. And today when I was talking to my kids, and I'm thinking, you know, I was like, I, you know, I'm thinking of, of the work we're doing to get kids to realize that fellowship and discipleship together in person is what really matters, is what's going to grow them in their walk with the Lord. And when I ask them, hey, what did you guys like best about this weekend at Grandma's? What do you think they said? The basketball game. Right? And the, and the time we spent eating together as a family. And they'll never forget that. They'll never forget that. And that is what this is all about. We're planning for the future. We're planning for the next generation. And, and we need to all come together to do that work. And the great thing about it is we are waiting and we are waiting and waiting for 20 plus years to be in a position of strength to be prepared for, for this work. As a, as a staff, 
as a, your elder leadership team and your pastors, we have stewarded the money that God gave us. We've cut budgets. I have gone through 30 different contracts to renegotiate every single vendor we work with, and you'd be surprised that from a garbage can to whatever, from printing. But we have saved money. We have been very diligent with what the Lord has provided, with each one of you have contributed through the years. And over the time of five years, we've been able to pay down our, our debt. We've been able to put aside money in reserve for this, this space. And we have been able to diligently work on that. And as R said, we're, we're halfway there. Good morning. I was up here a couple of weeks ago and I shared with you guys that my wife and I have been attending here since 94. But before we were married, in 93, I was actually attending here. What brought me here were some difficult circumstances in my life. And I remember meeting with Pastor R. I'd only known him a few weeks. I asked him if we could meet and talk. And it was in the little chapel office of his. He said, Paul, come on up one morning. We'll talk. He had gone for a jog that morning. And uh, when I met with him, he had jogging shorts on. He was sweaty. <laughs> Thought this would be an interesting conversation. And R says to me, he says, Paul, if you don't mind, my back's bothering me a little bit. Can we sit on the floor and talk? So he gets down and uh, he lays like this. And I said, okay, I'm going to pour my heart out to this guy, and he wants to sit on the floor. But I fell in love with him, and I'm here today because Pastor R took a moment out of his time to minister to me. I'm here today because of that little chapel. I was part of congregational vote to build this facility, and as I look at this size congregation, I can promise you there's no way we'd all fit in the chapel. So I did a lot of praying about what to say this morning as far as a testimony. I have seen lives changed in this place. I know that this morning we're all sitting in a place that was prayed over before it was ever constructed, that people sacrificially gave so that we could be here. And it is such an honor and a privilege to be participating in the finishing off of this space. I can't even express it to you guys what an honor it is. Um, excuse me. Uh, I, I said I wouldn't cry. <laughs> there was a morning I was out here and I'd met with a couple of contractors and things were going very smoothly, which it isn't always the case in construction. And I got out into my truck, and I just felt this emotion well up in me, just like I did now. And I said to the Lord, I'm like, what is going on? Where is this coming from? And I just let it go, and I began to cry. And I realized that it was just joy. <laughs> I am so, so excited to see this space being finished off. We, we prayed, we, we incurred debt to build this space. There was such a, a sense of excitement and joy. Our first service 
in this place was Christmas Eve of 2003. Christmas Eve 2003 was our very first service in this place. And I can't even explain to you the excitement and the joy that we were all feeling. So uh, 2004 was our first full year occupying this space. Well, four short years later, 2008, there was a crash in the market. And it shifted everything in the financial world for all of us. But especially this church, as R said, we had incurred a tremendous amount of debt to build this place. So all sites began to be on eliminating the debt. And we had several campaigns, two or three, I can't recall, it gets a little blurry as you go back. But I know two specific. And those campaigns were specifically designed to pay down our debt. And I was a participant in those. I supported them. I'm all for it. The beauty of what we're asking today is that every nickel, every dime is going to the completion of that. It's going nowhere else. It's going to complete that facility, this facility, that space. And if you haven't seen it, please talk to me. I'll get get you over here and, and let you in there. Uh, one of the things that John had said, he, he talked about an elevator being constructed. And we all keep calling it an elevator. In truth, it's a lift. And I was asked one time, what's the difference? There's a lot of differences. The most significant difference to me is an elevator is about $225,000. And the lift is $35,000. Thank you. That's a significant difference to me. We're going up 13 feet, one story. So an elevator would be a little, a little overkill for what we really need. And that's the other part of this project that I love so much, is John's diligence to be prudent with every nickel, every penny that's being spent. By... Doing it the way that we're doing it, we're, we didn't hire an outside contractor. Uh, John and Sharon approached me. We talked about how to best manage it. I know a lot of contractors. We're bringing in contractors that, that I'm familiar with that are really working to be budget conscious. And I feel very strongly that the number that we have budgeted that we will actually fall under. Now, that, we're not done yet, but I, the way I see it right now with where we are, we're actually falling under budget, and that's exciting also. So I'm just ecstatic. I, I am overwhelmed with joy to see this completed, and it's more than a facility. This, this isn't about ministering, or this isn't about the facility itself. The facility is a passion of mine because I am in construction, I, I did a lot of maintenance work up here. Charlie, I remember coming up here with you 30-plus years ago or 29 years ago. And what's that? I'm, I'm, I'm dating you. And, and fixing doorknobs and doing things. That was back in the days of the chapel. And, and I'm always, I've always been passionate about the facility. But the facility itself is not where it's at. My wife and I have spent time praying with couples in struggling marriages in this little room up here. My wife and I have spent time in every one of these classrooms. We did a divorce care. We've done every type of marriage ministry imaginable. All the while, we've also been ministered to 
in this facility. We, we have gone through some difficult times in our marriage and come up here and prayed with people. I remember one morning having a, a disagreement with my wife and coming up to church. And uh, my wife went on into the, to the service. Our kids went off to the classes. And I was just not in the space of worship mentally. And another brother approached me and said, what's going on? I started talking with him. He pulled me off to the side, and we went into one of the classrooms, and we prayed. That's what, that's what goes on here. That's what this is about. It's not about the physical part of this facility. It's about having the space to actually do the ministry work. So I want to thank each and every one of you for your participation. You know, in, this, in the slide presentation we saw at the very end of this video, there was a picture of a woman standing with her hands raised and she was looking over this way. And I know, Larry, you saw right away who it was. It was Elaine Henderson. Elaine Henderson, we had her, her memorial service in this room. She was, she was attending Grace Brethren before it even had a facility. She was in the home she was in the school when they were worshiping at a school. Before that facility was ever even built, this first one. So this is, the, this. you talk about generations. Elaine, I, I so miss her, Larry, and I know you do, brother, and you're sitting in her seat just honoring her. So, brother, we, we thank you for your faithfulness and for her faithfulness to this congregation. That's what it's about. We do have an opportunity to do that kind of ministry work for generations to come. Thank you guys for letting me share. We're, uh, we're going to play one more song. And just to give you a t time to, to think and to pray, there's two things that the Lord's been really leading on my heart um, over the, the months we've been planning to talk to you about the opportunity to, to, to join us. And one, you know, we, we hear it over and over again in Matthew 6.21, you know, where your treasure is, there your heart is. And, I, and, it's, and, and the Lord's really reminded me, as Pastor R mentioned in his sermon, like, there has never been, I promise you, there has never been a time that I have not given to the Lord where he has not blessed me in some way. I've never, ever regretted it. And, and so I've had a lot of opportunities um, in my life, and, and I've tried to remain open to those and, and the other part that, that it just happens that my devotional study has really been in um, First Chronicles, and I've been looking at different examples, um, like in First Chronicles 29, where we see how public a lot of, of, of what we do is as a church, giving, serving. And I think of the example of David, and, and they're raising money for the temple, and the leaders, you know, leading by example. And also through our study in Acts, how much, you know, we're all about uh, coming together, sharing and, and working together for a common cause. And so what we've done, first off, look to your right, the, the beautiful work um, that's been done from, from Paul and Sharon um, all by hand uh, is a representation of our building. And you'll see that we, we have already uh, achieved the first 50,000 of the 350 we need. Um, with that brick represented all the way to the right. But what we've done, to be very specific on the need, we've, we've taken the entire $300,000 that we need left, and we've divided it 
um, into 199 envelopes because I wouldn't, you know, you wouldn't want to make it 200. So we made, made it 199 envelopes um, ranging from $100 to $15,000, depending on um, where you are financially, where your family is, um, the circumstances. Um, we want, you know, and have asked for people to be praying and thinking this is not the only week, but this is the kickoff. We're going to play the last song, um, spend some time in prayer, um, thinking, or maybe you've already hopefully um, been thinking about how God wants you to contribute to this work. And um, those, those envelopes will be there till they're gone. And when they're gone, um, and we, you know, the preference would be to, to, to receive the money back um, by the beginning of June. Um, we do have some flexibility. And again, we've, we've put the envelopes in there as a, as a total representation that when those envelopes are gone and the money has come in, we're, we're done fundraising for this and, and we're going we're gonna to move on with this work and, and complete it by the end of this year. Um, so, you know, the, 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 um, the challenging thing for me is, I, I've, and as I've read, you know, the Lord kept bringing me back to the story of First Chronicles uh, 29, and, and I'm thinking of the story of where David and, um, you know, he's, he's leading out front, and, his, and the leaders lead out front, and the Lord was, you know, just keeps showing me that as a leadership team, I know each of our elders, our staff, our ministry leaders are committed, um, and my wife and I have continued to pray, and thankfully, prior to coming here, the Lord has given us opportunities at times to, you know, squirrel away money, um, you know, when, when times were better, um, and, and before coming into ministry, and, and, you know, our commitment, I wouldn't ask you to do anything that I personally um, wouldn't do myself, and, and I think the Lord is, you know, the Lord has been really gracious to my family and I. And we um, have wanted to commit for a long time to joining the, the, the church's work here with one of the largest envelopes. So I'm going to um, begin the, the charge, and I know many of you are ready to go, um, and, and take the time. And if it's not now, then, you know, as again, R said, we want you to be uh, coming to the Lord with a gracious heart. He doesn't need your money, and he will finish his work. And I, and I know he will, um, but we have an opportunity to share together. Thanks. Together, by faith, we will finish it. This year, what started 20 years ago will fin be finished. Um, I'm so glad that Paul Wareham came to my office that day and we got down on the floor at a ruptured disc. But I make you a promise, if you come to my office, I'll give you a chair, okay? I have a great chiropractor now who takes good care of me and I'm much better. I can stand and stuff. But back in those days, let's just get down on the floor, Paul. But you know what? God has been faithful to us over these years, and he brought you to us. And thank you for your response. It really warms my heart. Pray with me. Father in heaven, we have been blessed, and you have been faithful. You have put these blessings into our hands to be able to, to give them back to you, Lord, and provide for your work. And we pray, Lord, for the successful completion of that unfinished space. We know that you always finish what you start, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in us will bring it to completion in the day of Christ Jesus. Thank you that you are faithful to keep your promises. Provide for us, Lord, that we can give back to you and that, God, you will give us strength to be able to finish this work. Thank you for raising up the team and providing the funds. Lord, give us joy as we give. Be, help us be cheerful givers, Lord. Not grudgingly, not under compulsion, 
but willingly because of the great gifts you've given to us. May your grace motivate us to be graceful giving. Givers, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you all. Let's get a seat.